Rabbi, 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 good morning to you, my friend. Good morning. Good morning. I just love Fridays because I get to wake up, do a little prep work, do my little prayer, and then I get to go hang out with a rabbi for a while. And even though we, we're not having lunches like we used to, we still get to like get to see you every week. I, I really, actually I do. I really do look forward to these Fridays to be able to spend some, spend some good time with you. Um, and, uh, um, you know, today we're going to shake some things up, buddy. Yeah, I think today will be, um, it'll be an interesting conversation. I think that there will be things that, you know, we can both um, um, look at and perhaps maybe, you know, disagree with or, you know, but just having that open, open dialogue to really engage in some of the challenges that are faced in our country. Yeah, so we have, uh, you and I both read an article um, in um, the TC Palm, which is our local paper, uh, but it, it's a syndicated column that uh, from Star Parker. So Star Parker, uh, she uh, started Cure, which is the Center for Urban Renewal uh, edu and Education. Um, so she is a black woman who, uh, who desperately or definitely does not like BLM. Right, uh, very conservative uh, view viewpoints on a lot of things. Um, Christian woman, uh, and she has this uh, really a, a, a powerful agency um, that is really trying to go into neighborhoods and their way of empowering the individual to make bold choices uh, through marriage, through investment, through getting a job, through giving back to the community. Um, so she lifts up a lot of wonderful values. She does a lot of great work and she's got a unique voice. And so we definitely want to have that on here. I'm sure she's going to challenge you and me in some great ways. Um, during the pre-production call, it was, it was awesome. We just didn't, you know, expect to hear a lot of things to come. So that's, that's, Good, good for all of us to be challenged. So uh, Star Parker will be joining us today. If you don't know who she is, we're going to put it in the show notes, how you can find more about the work she's doing here at Cure. Also, if you're new to the podcast, please uh, subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment of what you think, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or you're on Stitcher, wherever you may be. Uh, it really helps us and share with other folks who get into this type of stuff. We're just a bunch of Judeo-Christian clergy members who like to have voices on here that really challenge us with relevant topics. Um, and right now, that's a lot of code. COVID and a lot of politics, uh, but always through a Judeo-Christian lens. Um, all right. Well, Rabbi, are you ready to roll? I'm ready. We got to get we got to get our boy Evan on board. We're looking at a producer right now. He he looks he looks he looks bored. He doesn't look excited. So we just hope that this show gets him going. So well, now he looks riveted. So now he looks riveted. Yeah, the voice of the Mets is riveted. All right, y'all. God bless you, and let's get ready for another episode with Star Parker on a priest and a rabbi. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi! The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over-allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, everybody out there. This is Father Christian and Rabbi Matthew Durbin. Uh, I'm over at St. Mary's Episcopal Church. And of course, Rabbi Durbin's over at Temple Beth Hayam here in Stewart, Florida on this 
yeah, beautiful sunny day. It feels like 145 out with that humidity. And uh, we are just so glad you're here with us this morning. Um, Rabbi, it's good to have you. You're, you're, not at, you're not at home. You're in the office and you're ready to roll. You're getting ready for Shabbat. How are you feeling this morning, buddy? It's a loaded question. How am I feeling seven days before the Jewish New Year? Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A little overwhelmed with uh, everything of trying to get our services virtual. And um, uh, obviously next Friday night is Erev, uh, the evening of Rosh Hashanah. And then next Saturday, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Um, Ten days later, Yom Kippur. Yeah, it's a, it's a little overwhelming, but I'm doing really well. I, I needed to be in the space uh, this morning uh, in my office where I could really, really kind of be with myself, trying get these sermons written and uh, edit them and go through the choreography and logistics and everything else. But uh, I'm inspired. The choreography? Are you adding dance pieces to, to, to no, your, no, no, your no, no, sermons no. this year? No dance pieces, um, you know, but it, it's some video that's being embedded in and, and you know, choreography with my soloist and, um, and our- uh, so you're, Oh, you're dancing with your soloist? Yeah. You guys are kind of doing like a dancing with the stars sort of thing during Shabbat? Yeah, I'm the dancing rabbi. That's what I am. Ah, okay. There we go. All right. Well, it, it's um, listen, man. We got we got a loaded show today that we want to just keep on. We don't want to waste any time. Um, we'll be doing a good dance today. So we have Star Parker with us. So Star Parker um, is the founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. She's been in it since 95. She's had a wide array of ways of communicating that message through TV, through radio. You've uh, probably read her column this morning in the paper if you're tuning in right now on the radio. Um, if you're going to be checking out our podcast later on, uh, you can go and Google her and see all the different books that she's written. She just released one in 2019, uh, which we're going to get into. Uh, but she's a very busy woman, and we're just honored to have her here this morning with us. So, uh, Ms. Star Parker, thank you so much for being here on A Priest and a Rabbi. Well, I'm really glad to be with the priest and a rabbi because with my story coming out of all that I was involved in prior to the resume you just said, I could use a little bit of priest and rabbi in my life for more penance so that I can get into heaven. <laughs> so let's start there. Let's start there. You have a you have a very interesting story. Well, I mean, the reason why we, we, we read your column and we're like, yeah, we got to get her on the show. This is great. Uh. Um, but in this the column that you did two weeks ago about BLM taking down some of your billboards, all your billboards that you had recently put up uh, through Cure. Yeah, we hired a lawyer on that one. Yeah, so, so you're in the midst of that. So we'll get into that. But let's hear more about you. We want to know your story. So tell us about that. You said you had, you had a point in your life where you needed a lot of priest and rabbi for penance. And now you're at a place where you're a great leader, a community activist. So tell us, tell us about that journey. And I really need a priest and a rabbi because now that journey has taken me to work in Washington, D.C. So I feel like I'm going backwards when it comes to my personal life. <laughs> because I told the Lord when he saved me that I would not steal anymore. I would not lie anymore. That I would, I would just not, I would not be a corrupted person anymore. And then now I'm just surrounded by thieves and liars here in Washington, these so-called politicians. But yes, you're right. I had an interesting journey because I believed all the lies of the left. A lot of what we're hearing even today, that my life is somebody else's to fix, that I, my problems belong to somebody else, I can't fix them, uh, that America's so racist, I can't mainstream, that I'm poor because someone else is wealthy, and you kind of hear all of this constantly. And I got very lost in hearing all of that. I felt that why bother to try to set a future for myself? And so I became very aggressive. Uh, very early. So by 12, I was already involved in criminal activity. By 14, drug activity. By 16, sexual activity. I was in and out of abortion clinic after clinic. I had um, 
Uh, then finally uh, had a child, still not married, went on welfare, lived there. Uh, I was in and out for quite some time. And then for three and a half years, I watched my life just go into a little dark hole. And that's where God found me. I was actually looking to subsidize my welfare check because, you know, Uncle Sam, yeah, he's a wonderful taskmaster. The rules were don't save, don't work, don't get married, and we'll kind of keep you enslaved to this poverty plantation for the rest of your life. But I wanted a little more, so I went to see if I could get these businessmen to subsidize my welfare check, give me some money under the table. Because I also knew that Uncle Sam was pretty cruel to the businessman, <laughs> over taxation, over regulation. So a lot of them do things, uh, you know, to get around that, especially if you're a small struggling business. But I met these guys that were working in this particular advertising agency that I was trying to get to employ me to do whatever they wanted me to do, because actually they were really good looking. So I would have done whatever they wanted me to do. Um, but they said they didn't pay like that, that they were legitimate businessmen. And I thought, you guys are crazy. Don't you know America's racist? Why are you mainstream? Uh, and I confronted them. They confronted me. And finally, they told me, one of them in particular, Ken, said, you couldn't work here even if you if you left welfare, because that was the big deal, is that they didn't want to pay under the table where I was not going to um, report that income. And I said, um, you know, that they said that I couldn't work there. He said, because of my lifestyle. And then I confronted him about my lifestyle. I asked him what was wrong with my lifestyle. He then said it was unacceptable. And I then thought, unacceptable to who? Actually, I said it because I had heard that there's nothing unacceptable, that that actually is a hate crime uh, to tell somebody that their lifestyle is unacceptable. And he said to God. And when he said God, I got chills, frankly. I hadn't heard God. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I just I left and I went and got high and I just went, went back to my patterns and he kept calling me and trying to get me to go to church with him. And a year after year, he kept calling me trying to get me to go to church, not every day, but on a regular enough basis that as my life was still going downhill, uh, I finally listened to him. I went to his church and I heard the gospel. I heard that God was in Christ, that he was reconciling the world to himself. He wasn't counting my sin against me, that he loved me, that there is redemption, repentance, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I, I accepted it. I said, well, then if this can change me, if the Bible can change me, then I want that. So I started reading the Bible. And I still, to today, I learned to read a proverb a day. Someone said that there are 31 proverbs for every day. There's one for every day to keep the devil away. So I get up and on that month, whatever day that is, today's the 11th, you read Proverbs 11th. And so I still made a habit of doing that some 30 years later. And I started seeing the hand of the Lord uh, moving my life. I was able to get up through college. I got my degree in business and uh, international business and, and marketing. I started a business during the 92 Los Angeles riots. My business was destroyed because they were rioting at that point for the same things we're seeing today or same excuses for not just going ahead with your own individual life. And that's what shaped my thought to come to Washington, to start really trying to change the realities in these communities, as opposed to letting people get away with complaining about them. And based on my background in welfare and having been dependent in the system, I was actually introduced to some folks uh, that led to me being able to consult on federal welfare reform in the 90s. So that's the reason that I run Urban Cure today, uh, you could say, because when we were trying to get uh, welfare reform done in the mid-90s, not only did I get a whole lot of venom and hate from the people that uh, were thinking that we should not change that reality, but I also received letters from people that were where I was in my life at that time telling me to please keep going because they really knew that what they were, what lives they were in uh, were not acceptable, the patterns, and they wanted what I had now. So 
that started my process, if you will. But when we finished welfare reform and, and uh, President Bill Clinton finally signed it after the second round uh, of Newt Gingrich forcing him to sign that bill, um, I knew that there were big questions still needed to be addressed. It was one thing to say what we shouldn't be doing, but it's another to say then what should we be doing? And so that's why I started my organization to say, okay, so life after welfare, what are we going to do now? What are we gonna do now? So I, I hosted a conference in, Washington, in, um, in Los Angeles. I said, okay, I'm gonna just invite some of the pastors uh, to, because I knew a lot of the pastors there because of my previous business. I was doing a magazine in my business that was destroyed. So I said, I'm just gonna do a conference and have them come out and hear about what we did in Washington because they were told, oh, they're gonna have kids dying in the street. They're gonna kick moms out of their homes. I mean, I even went on Oprah Winfrey show and she even said it. And I'm like, these girls are gonna be so afraid. And I think that's why I knew I better get out in front of this narrative because we're not gonna kick them out and kill the kids through starvation. So I set the table at the Sheridan Hotel next to the LA airport for about 40 people. I'm thinking maybe I can get 40 of these guys to come out and over 400 showed up. Wow. I know that's what we said. And that's what the hotel said. How are we going to feed these people? I found out a few years later that they actually worked with other hotels around uh, to get that lunch. Because, you know, hotels, they, you know, they order according to what you, how many people you said you're going to have. And so, but it showed me at that moment that people, it's not that the pastors or the people in the hardest zip codes don't care. They just don't know what to do. They don't know what broke down and they don't know how to fix it. So that's what propelled me to found my group. Urban Cure, what I run today, in 1995, but I was working in talk radio full-time for ABC, so I couldn't work on it full-time, and so I began to work on it a little bit as I could, but at a certain point, I left radio and started doing it full-time, and so 10 years ago, I moved in here to Washington, D.C., so that we can promote market-based solutions to fight poverty. We promote messages of faith, freedom, and personal responsibility when it comes to fighting poverty and restoring dignity. And so that's our mission. We do it in three areas, as you're saying. We do it in public policy. We know that if we change the laws, we can change people's lives. We do it in media. That's why my column, my books, uh, we have blackcommunitynews.com. I have a show. We do a whole lot in media, rapid response. And then we also have a clergy network where we have organized almost 1,000 pastors that serve in these hard-hit communities. And we try to fuel them with information so that they can change the reality in their own neighborhood. When you, when you started the organization, when you started Cure, I mean, was there, what was the prevailing feeling amongst trying to galvanize support? Did you have any pushback? Was it just well-received? I mean, what, what was that process like for you? Well, the process was that I had to pull the Nehemiah on them. If you're familiar with Nehemiah, when he looked out into, uh, into his community, he asked folks, hey, how are people faring? And they said, it's not good, sir. And he weeped and said, it's not good. The, 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 everything has been destroyed. And that's what's happened in the black community, uh, the poor parts of our community, when it comes to urban living. It's not good. 50 years of social engineering of the left is not good. A war on poverty is not good. And the damage was very, very clear. And it's clear even today. We see it very visibly today. So I took the Nehemiah approach. I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to find the ones that will work with me. I had to go around some, the same way Nehemiah had to go around the leaders of that day and find those that would work with him. And that's why I was shocked when 400 came to that summit. So the following year, we started our summits coming to Washington, D.C. Uh, we get pastors to come here once a year uh, to get a regular diet of information in four areas, health care, economics, 
um, housing and education. And every now and then new areas will come up, like this year we'll probably at our summit address policing, uh, but, but that's generally how it started. So if the question is, is there a hard progressive left that hates everything we do? The answer is absolutely. It's one of the reasons that right now I'm in a security protection program. I can't live in my personal home, but do I care? The answer is no. Then the reason I don't care is because I look at the data. Data is my life. And I know that a third of African-Americans in particular agree with me. They, they po told posters forever now that they're evangelical and they're conservative. And I know that they're represented by an army of pastors who just don't know. And that's about three to 5,000 pastors in this country that haven't bowed to the bales. When Elijah looked at, at God's eyes, I, I'm by myself. He said, no, I've got 7,000 men who haven't bowed to the bales. So we have to go find them. It's a hard work to find them, but that's our job, is to go find those that do agree with us and ignore those that don't. And then to build a model to replace those that don't even though they're getting very aggressive under the leadership of now this Black Lives Matters movement. All right, so yeah, so before we go there, tell us what then when you get these pastors and you have these summits, how do you help them uh, execute and start to implement some of these changes uh, that, that, that you all, um, uh, that you, that you uh, uh, teach at the, at the summit? Like it's, well, it's not just the summit. They get a regular diet. They have a, we have a daily blog, blackcommunitynews.com, to where they're learning the principles. They already believe the Bible. We look for those that already believe the Bible. And so what we're trying to do is say, okay, the economic side of that coin, one side is the moral side, one's the economic side, is the same coin. The sanctity of private property is as sacred as the sanctity of life. So you want to make sure that they understand that the same Bible that says don't kill says don't steal. And we want them to understand that just the whole welfare state in itself is built on the principle of coveting. And, and the Bible says don't covet. So you cannot take from one and give to another. So that's the first sort of business is to get the government out of the welfare state, get the government out of uh, charity, if you will. Uh, the challenge is that we spend $900 billion a year, it's a quarter of our budget, on these anti-poverty programs. So it's a lot of work. So, the, so we have a daily blog. Weekly, they get my show, they get information packed, and monthly, they get a book, and they get a, a study. We do a study. Uh, quarterly, they get a newsletter, and then annually, they come to Washington. Now, to your question, what is it that we help them do specifically if they want to do it? Adopt or start a school, adopt or start a pregnancy care center. Because we believe that the only way that we're going to reverse the trends that the, and the damage that has been done over the last 50 years to those that are the most vulnerable is to start with that next generation. First of all, save that baby, end abortion. But the best way for a pastor to be locally trying to get a part of that pro-life movement is to adopt the pregnancy care center so that we stop the bleeding of the, of, the, of the children. Did you know that in black community right now, more children have been aborted than were alive during the civil rights movement? This is a tragedy in our society. And it sends a message to our young people that they don't matter. And if they don't matter and then their family hasn't developed properly and then their schools are broken, it gets really, really hard when, by the time they're 16. So we try to catch them there. So we want them to be in education business and we want them to be in the pregnancy care center business. Any other question they may have, um, we actually, we help them through. You know, like last year, uh, we brought our clergy, we had a couple of hundred of them here and we had to bring them to the White House because the president has an initiative of, uh, um, Opportunity Zone initiative. So we wanted to give them more information about that. Unfortunately, they couldn't accommodate all hundreds. So we had to pick strong. We had probably about 80 of them that were able to go in and then meet the leaders of the various departments 
uh, to get more intel for what it is they're doing in their local communities. This is great. All right. So when let, let, let's so let's jump to some of this pushback that you've got. Right. So um, you would say a major movement that's happening right now is definitely antithetical to what CURE stands for, which would be uh, BLM. Uh, is that a safe? Is that would that be a safe statement to say? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so recently you all, uh, uh, Cure, had put up about a, a series of billboards nationally, right, um, right. all around. And tell, tell us about what happened. So you had these billboards that made some, some statements and quoted Proverbs, <laughs> and, yeah, and, then, and then BLM did not, did not enjoy what, what, what you put up. Oh, no, they didn't enjoy it. And that's why we're going to a lawsuit with them, not because they interjected themselves in a contract. That's illegal in this country. You can't force a business to break a contract with someone else. Okay, so what was that campaign about? What that campaign was about is that this new movement that says that they're after the net of systemic racism uh, was getting traction and built and burning down and destroying a lot of communities. They say that their movement came up because of police brutality, which is a cause that needs attention, but they began to be very aggressive in our hard zip codes. We have about 8,700 zip codes in the country that are extremely hard everything in them are broken and we're trying to fix it. So what we decided is to let's go speak to that 12 year old and 14 year old that's sitting there wondering what is this all about? They're not watching cable TV, they barely have the internet, their school is broken, their family's broken, their mom really is on crack and their dad is really in jail. So we wanted to talk to them. And the only way to reach that population group is in billboard or bus ads. There's just no other way to reach them if you're really trying to get into their heart. So we have a campaign of the success sequence. It's a, it's a moral truth, it's home truth, it's scientific truth. There is a success sequence. Finish school, take any job, get married, save and invest, give back to your neighborhood. It's throughout history, everyone knows that they may not have put it into that type of packaging, but we know that these principles are true. So we put them up on a billboard, beautiful African-American girl one, beautiful African-American male one, and then it just says tired of poverty, question mark then finish school, take any job, get married, save and invest, get back to your neighborhood. On one side, it had our website, urbancure.org slash success. For those that could go to the internet or those that would go to the internet, what they would find there are some books to lead them through those different steps. The first book we had under finished high school was uh, Les Brown, Laws of Success. I mean, Les Brown, African-American, got an incredible story, just a major person. Uh, under um, uh, Take Any Job and Who Moved My Cheese. Some are familiar with that book, Who Moved My Cheese, best-selling book, and say, look, if things are not working here, maybe you should go somewhere else. Um, Get Married, George Gilder. I've not read anything more um, profound, if you will, on the reasons to marry, to break the cycle of poverty. Save and Invest, we had a book. It's called um, God, Money, and You. Uh, and that book will lead them step-by-step. Step. It's like one of these, okay, do this, do this, do this, this, and then the final one, free to focus. You can focus on your own cause. Just do it in your own local community so you can build your community. So that's what um, the success sequence billboards were about. On the other side from the website, it had a scripture, Proverbs 10.4, that simply says, if you're lazy, you're not going to get anything, but if you work hard, you will. Black Lives Matters Milwaukee came after not us only. They did start to try but they went after the billboard company, Clear Channel Outdoor, locally. They went after the billboard company. They demanded them to take them down. They came to their offices. They put their phone, the manager's phone number on the internet.
Testament and told all their little black lives we likes to go after them. They then contacted Clear Channel um, Baltimore, the headquarters, and demanded that they pull those boards down. And they did. <laughs> like a lot of corporations, if BLM comes after you, you pay Ola because their, their tactics are worse than the tactics of the KKK. The tactics of the KKK, we diminish down to where they don't even get a peep in our society. But BLM has taken up that same mantra. They're the same people, of course. These are still Democrats that ran the KKK, and now they're running the BLM. And they took the same tactics, tactics of threats of intimidation, violence. They're showing up at their home. So the companies are crashing. They're just saying, forget it here. So what Clear Channel Outdoor did is they breached three contracts with us, not only the one for Milwaukee, because then that wasn't enough for BLM Milwaukee to take them down in Milwaukee. They demanded them down in St. Paul. They demanded them down in Minneapolis. They demanded them down in Philadelphia. And they demanded that they don't put them up in other cities that we had on our list, which is another 12, uh, another 17 cities. So, so um their reasoning was what was their main reasoning i saw the billboards and i can see the only that might be just it's 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 <laughs> i think only the only thing i can see it, 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 an issue with it is that it's in a command form like do this do this do this and people might be like whoa 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 you're being kind of being telling me what to do with my life but what would you what do you think the main reason is that uh, it just said tired of poverty no but that's the part that we asked clear channel and we're demanding still an answer and we have a legal team that's going to get the answer they're going to have to do something about that contract that they had with us. That's what we asked them, which part is so offensive? And like, you haven't gotten a response from BLM? High school, look, we already know that if just between those that are dropping out, that's, that group that's dropping out, overwhelmingly black and Latino, if they would finish high school, we're talking almost 2 trillion in the economy. These are facts that we know. Just finish high school, take any job. Everyone knows if you take a job, anything, work harder than the person above you. I mean, which one of us didn't start at the bottom? Even wealthy people make their kids do something first get married we all know the benefits of marriage you can read books from from the millionaire next door to you just name it everyone knows that if you marry two are better than one and save and invest why wouldn't we want people to save and invest? especially those people that keep complaining that the banks are still redlining well, well think that you can't have it both ways you can't demand banks to be a part of people's lives while at the same time you're telling those people they shouldn't save and invest money and then what you don't want them to help build their community oh that's right you want to tear it down you want to destroy their communities that's i don't know that's what they have that's their case to make in the courts what was so offensive that you're demanding to for another company to breach their contract with us yeah i think it would be an awesome dialogue to have you and blm Hash that one out and figure out. Come on. You know, our lawyer is in the court. <laughs> that's where it's going. I don't have time for some terrorists. They don't even want a discussion. These people, what they're doing to our country right now is not about discussion. This is about destabilization and transforming. And they don't care. It's nothing to do with the election. They don't care. In fact, they probably prefer President Trump so they can keep this game going. All right. So this is a good moment for us to catch a breath. We're going to take a commercial. All I can say is that I, I, I agree with the marriage part because before marriage, Durbin was just a crazy young man just running around Toronto. And if it wasn't for his wife, Rose, it would be a scary night. Um, so uh, let's take a break. Let's catch a breath. We're going to hear from the people who make this show possible, and we'll be right back.
You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor or someone to be there for you during a challenging time and you can call the church at 772-287-3244 we also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis they are not counselors they are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, all right. Welcome back to part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. This is Father Christian Anderson here with Rabbi Matthew Durbin. And today, 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 we have with us Ms. Star Parker, who is the founder and the president of uh, CURE, Center for Urban Renewal and Education. She is also the author of many books, but her latest one is Necessary Noise, How Donald Trump Inflames the Culture War, and This is Good News for America. Um, and so uh, we are great. We are just uh, honored to have your voice on here. Uh, it's a different voice than we're used to. And so this is, makes it uh, just awesome for, for everyone involved. Um, so, uh, so, so tell us, we want to continue where we were, this, this um, pushback that you, we, you know, the title of the show really we talked about that we put on our Facebook page was when canceling culture cancels empowerment. And, and so what I hear from you a lot is empowering the individual to make 
bold in choices to really step into, as we would see as Christians and Jews, is you know, the, the plan that God has for them, for them to flourish. Um, and, and, and then how, uh, and what I'm hearing from you is that our uh, government has overstepped its boundaries where it's created a, um, it's suppressed or oppressed the ability for the individual to really to really grow and really take charge right. of their own life. They set That's up right. patterns and structures that have said, no, actually don't just take handouts and don't find right. your, 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 all that God has in store for you. Right. Um, so have you, you know, your, your, listen, their readers, our listeners, they might not uh, know this, but you, so as a, as a black woman, um, have you, your, your, your voice is a little unique than some, uh, some other uh, leading black voices in America. Um, and uh, so have you, received pushback from um, friends in the black community or even in the white community about your points of view and saying that it's, it's, um, uh, uh, it's, it's denying that there's systematic racism, it's denying, uh, mm -hmm. well, what, what's the tension you've gotten from, from, from when you speak and from your work in Cure? Well, that's an interesting question because I don't keep friends that are liberals. I don't, I don't have those in my circle. I have friends that agree with me and I agree with them. We have a lot in common. But to your point about the pushback and why there is such in our society, I think it's the struggle between individualism, which as you're pointing out, the scripture points to, we are all uniquely made in the image of God. We have different talents. He distributed different talents. We have different capacities, but we're all unique in our humanity and equal in there. Collectivism is inconsistent with that. Collectivism says that no, we're all exactly the same and anyone that doesn't agree that we're the same is an enemy of that concept of collectivism. And that's what we see, not just in totalitarian Marxist movements like BLM, but also in communist movements and socialist movements and others that have come up with the same idea, I suppose, that we're not uniquely made to contribute. We're not made in the image of God that each of us are to continue in what he started, which is to create in our own ability, whether that ability is you're married and you're now going to create other little people or whether your ability is to create art or, or, or to create um, uh, science, create things that are going to get to the place where people are just peaceful, they're free. And freedom is ultimately what the scripture gives to us. But what I find in the Bible is not just freedom by itself, but also personal responsibility. So the welfare state in and of itself is inconsistent with personal responsibility. It takes away from an individual to say, I have choices to make and I need to choose right. That there is right from wrong and I need to choose right. When you pretend that there's no right from wrong, that everything is just situational ethics and we can, well, in our own little islands of collectivism, pretend that everybody will behave and we can just get religion out of the way. Everybody will behave and we can just get wealthy people out of the way. It's a lie and it's built in a lie. But the people that get damaged most are the ones that then don't get to participate in their own lives to solve their own lives problems and to uniquely find what that purpose and meaning is for them to be on this side of eternity. Now the, 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 so we've heard some stories here on the show about folks who are saying, Listen, I'm, 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 I'm working hard. I'm working my, my, my butt off. Um, I'm trying to do everything that's right. Um, but yet, it, it, this, this, the country that we live in, um, there's, there's still systematic issues that will push back at me. And that's a struggle and it's frustrating. Um, and so when, when you hear that of saying, 
you know, I, I get pulled over for no reason and it's just frustrating. Or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, there was a, a pastor we had said, you know, I, I, my, my son is just trying to do well. He's working hard in school. His, he gets pulled over with, with some other friends. He's trying to get a D1 scholarship. These cops are kind of harassing them. And he's just trying to say, I hope I don't say the wrong thing. I hope I don't say the wrong thing because I don't want to mess up my life because I'm really just trying to do the right thing. I mean, to them, they perceive that the reason why they got pulled over was because of the color of their skin. Um, is that still an issue and still a roadblock to, to really work hard and to grow and to and, and, and kind of fulfill this all this opportunity in America? Is, is that the color of skin still an issue uh, to to really to freely and to be able to pursue what God has in store for you? The, I'll start with the last question. So the answer is no. Actually, you can fulfill what God wants you to do, regardless of the circumstances or the burdens you may have in life that might try to take you off that path. Um, it's then up to you to focus. We all have challenges. We all have burdens. And it's our burden to bear. The question then becomes, can we bear? Do we push that responsibility to someone else? And or do we uh, uh, just embrace the pain and move on whatever those obstacles in our own personal lives might be the set of circumstances we're born into do not have to fulfill our destiny for us we get choices through life but to the first part of your question is there a problem in our society in particular our poor communities with over policing the answer is absolutely yes the challenge though if we really want to fix the problem is that the very people that keep telling us there is a problem or the reason that we have the problem they created the problem the reason that they created the problem is two, twofold. Number one, they have built out affirmative action preference programs so that everything has to be funneled through a race of uh, a, a tube. And so you have to demand business, uh, government, policing, interest. You must look at race. You have to. So we're going to constantly keep that in the psyche. But number two, this is the same party that promotes big government and unions. So what is the nature of union? The nature of union is seniority factors. So the, 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 the rookies and the rebels then end up in poor communities. Because when you look at the nature of the union, which is a seniority-driven uh, entity, industry, the poorer the community, you just starting out, that's where you start. We see it in teachers' unions, too. With the, you get you get out of the teeth, you got bright eyes and bushy tail, and then where do you get assigned? To the worst case scenario. What happens in policing? The same thing. Also, the unions protect the police that are brutal to other communities. They don't get fired, they get promoted into other communities, communities that can't fight back. Why can't those communities fight back? Because the same liberals that are trying to tell us that America is so systemically racist that they have to overhaul and destroy it to rebuild it into a Marxist Im image. These are the same people that insist on this welfare state. What has happened in the welfare state? Well, in the 60s, you look at the 60s, black family life was intact. 78% of black husbands were in the homes with their wives raising their children. We didn't see this type of lawlessness in our community. I don't care how much Jim Crow tried. We didn't see the lawlessness. And we didn't see the lack of educational aspirations. We didn't see the high out-of-marriage birth rates and the dependency on government and all the crime and drugs. It just wasn't there. But fast forward, after 50 years of the social engineering, that government will solve all of your problems. Now what do we have? We have 75% of black children born outside of marriage. We see government controlling their housing through HUD policies. We see government controlling their education through education policies. So what we have done as a society is we've trapped our poor into failing communities while they also have dismantled family life. Now, 
You put that energy, these young boys who have no dad to channel their energy to their studies or to sports, and you put that up against a, a unionized police force where rookies and rebels are there. That is an explosion waiting to happen. So you got the bad guys already overwhelmingly in these communities, and you've got the bad guys already overwhelmingly in these communities, and then the rest of us, when we see incidents, which are far and in few in between, we're wondering what happened. That's what happened. We unionized our police officers, which 100 years ago, they said, please don't do this, guys. Do not unionize civil servants. They're not union workers. They're civil servants. And we have a welfare state. You want to fix it? You fix those two things. But what? Wow. <laughs> These are the same people that love to tell everybody else what's wrong with their life. But to the place of where your friends' children are pulled over, are black men pulled over? Yes, they are, because black men in these hard zip codes are disproportionately doing crime. So police officers have orders in other communities to say, make sure when they come to this community, you watch them, because we don't know which one is which. So how, how do you approach that? That's the fact. How do you approach that nut? You know, a police union is a pretty darn strong union, right? And uh, so, so those the welfare states. So, how, how does Cure start to approach that? That that that. By getting the message out, and I think that we're it's gonna, our job is going to be a whole lot easier now because of this Black Lives Matters. One thing that we do have is in this crisis, you know how we have the danger, but you also have the opportunity. And the opportunity is to watch what's happening with these police chiefs all over the country and watch what's happening with these mayors all over the country. These black police chiefs that have worked their butt off to get to that position and these black mayors who worked their butt off to get to that position are saying, what in the world are we doing here? What has happened to our community? So this is a window of opportunity for us to have a long-awaited discussion that uh, Urban Cure has wanted to have for the last 25 years we've been here, but now we're seeing doors open to really maybe be able to discuss it. Because remember, police union contracts are done locally. I'm not saying dismantle the unions. I'm just saying that, uh, the, the, for instance, in Los Angeles, there should be questions of why is it that the union has decided that the very people that are going to police a community can't live in that community? Why is it that the mayor of, of, of uh, Minneapolis didn't tell us that the police union contract for that particular police officer gave him a two-day cooling down period and there was nothing that he could do until that friday why did he let the whole country explode we were all appalled when we saw george floyd lose his life on international television we're not in 1920. the immediate response of the people was appalling and we're going to do something justice would be served due process is the law of the land and that union allowed that officer until that friday to get his act together that was what that mayor had a responsibility to tell the rest of the country. And then Black Lives Matters and their little Tiffa friends would have had a whole lot of explaining to do the why they were able to come out into the streets during COVID. Nobody else got to come out. Everybody's First Amendment rights were suspended because of COVID, except the domestic terrorists. All right. So tell us, uh, you know, I want to, you have a, a new book out. All right. <laughs> called Necessary Noise. Necessary yeah. Noise. How Donald Trump inflames the culture wars and this is good news for america so mm -hmm. tell us about the good news uh about about donald trump inflaming the culture war well where i start the book is in this moment in time and interestingly i wrote it before what we've been seeing this summer which is actually a part of the noise and i was expecting it i didn't know how but i was expecting it when i wrote the book because i began to shape the book when donald trump won in uh, in uh, 2016. 
So I've looked at this same moment in history in the 1850s when Abraham Lincoln had to open the scripture and read and read that a house divided against itself can't stand. We can't do this anymore, guys. We can no longer be half free and half slave. We tried forever, and now look, 89 years into our, our founding, we are in serious, serious trouble. We can no longer be uh, one or the other. Um, we've got to be one or the other. We can no longer be both. So I start there. I put his inaugural, and I look at this moment in history in five different areas to where we see a whole lot of noise that we can't do this anymore as a country. We can't have two things going on at the same time in the public square. One is going to overrule the other. And we're seeing liberalism and progressivism overrule those that want the, the founding principles of Christianity and capitalism in our Constitution. And this is a war that had been going on long enough, and then the Tea Party hired Donald Trump to settle it. So he came in, and a lot of people were upset about it, but I kind of like the fact that after working in Washington about 20 years at that point, we needed that type of tension to get us to the place to where we admitted not only are these problems really, really deep, but we cannot continue with this one, both. We can't do both. We have to do one or the other. So that's what the book is about. And so then do you think another four years would be, then would be a good thing then to keep that, keep that movement going? I do, and professionally I do, because we, because of the, the issues that we ascribe to. Absolutely, I love what he's done on the courts. I am very pro-life. We want to stop the slaughter of the innocent in the womb. When you think about his dismantling of the welfare state by developing out these opportunity zones for the, for the poor, I mean, the list is long for issues that he has brought that are consistent with my values of market-based solutions to fight poverty and consistent with my moral values of scripture and to stop that heavy hand that was trying to force the church underground. So he has established now religious liberty offices in major places here in Washington uh, because they were under the thumb of those LGBTQers that want their, their messaging and their biblical worldview on marriage to go underground with the same type of KKK tactics that we're seeing uh, within Tampa. Notice how each of these protests have big rainbow flags everywhere. They hate the Confederate flag, but they sure have that rainbow flag everywhere in your face. And the thing about it is flags have meaning. They do have meaning. The, the Confederate flag says no blacks, but the rainbow flag says no Christians. So there are people that are totally offended by this, and they were looking forward to a president that would speak some truth into this scenario and try to figure out where we should go now as a country uh, that, that they got the upper hand on redefining marriage. So yes, I think that four years of Donald Trump would be wonderful, but I have no guarantees that's going to happen. And it doesn't matter to me whether it does or not. What I want is the war settled, the cultural war. I don't want it to go hot if it doesn't have to. We usually battle in the voting booth, but not, not this summer. Now that we see this street action, we don't know what is next. It could This war could very quickly uh, turn hot. It's been a cold war for quite some time. Everybody knows it. Nobody wanted to pick a side. They, they, they think they're on in the middle, just make it go away. I'm Switzerland. But God tell you what, like I argue in my book, you can only do that for so long. At a certain time, you choose a side. And what happened in Kentucky, when people had to choose a side, the union, you had to choose a side because now we're at war and that's how brother end up killing brother because they're in the line, which one? And that's where we are now. God is saying which side? And that's what this election coming is about. Which one? Are we going to be biblical and free or are we going to be secular and status? Are we going to be secular to where anything can go except religion and the status meaning and government controls everything, every decision that you make? We're having that one or we're going to be biblical and free. But biblical and free means personally responsible. So that's where I argue in the book and conclude that uh, it would be healthy if we could be free. 
so, so just just kind of looking at 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 you know the the big picture that that you know our our country is in and you know i i think for 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 some if not for many uh it can pull us greatly into depression into despair right it, it it's a massive weight that is on our shoulders you know star for you where's the hope what's the, where's the hope what's the hope and 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 what's the intention how can we move out of this cycle towards something that is impactful that is meaningful that we can get out of this uh, uh, this viciousness that can bring us closer to to you know some degree of solace and harmony well i i hope that is a hope that we could get to that place of peace but there is a time of war and the, and the challenge for us is we have uh, the greatest generation who birthed in the baby boomers who became very, very spoiled and didn't pass on those values uh, to the millennials who now haven't passed them on to their uh, Gen Zs, we call them. Now, you could say, well, what values? Well, we know that our Judeo-Christian heritage is very critical to our existence to live as free people. You can't self-govern without rules. Choice loses its meaning if it doesn't matter what you choose. So if you have a generation that said, I'm okay, you're okay, and then they tell the next generation, you can do whatever you want to, the next generation after that is going to pick up Marxism because you've got to have someone that's saying, this is right, this is wrong. It's not going to be God, it's going to be government. So I'm not sure that we're going to get out of it so quickly. It's kind of like, you know, you've been putting off, you know something was wrong, your body's been putting off, putting off, putting off, and then you finally go to a doctor and it's stage four. It's metastasized. It's a lot more aggressive now to get rid of that cancer. And that's what's happened in our society in every institution, not just in government. Here, we see it in every institution. We've seen it in entertainment to where they're not there to, with just to let people let their hair down. They have an agenda. There's an ideology driving our entertainment world now. We see it in, in media. That, I mean, let's not even worry. I mean, we see it now even that the, that the tech people have such an agenda they have to be called in the hearings. We're seeing it in education. I mean, my goodness, it is not the role of the government to indoctrinate other people's children. They were supposed to teach them simple concepts of reading, writing, math, and how to become adults consistent with the family lifestyles, not warring against the family lifestyles. So every institution is broken. And I talk about five areas that they're broken in my book. They're really four, then the fifth one I say, how we're gonna, you know, the opportunity and um, uh, noise, but it is noisy. I don't know, uh, Rabbi, how, um, how you even end up with Matthew as your name, but um, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how we're <laughs> that's, that's the first time that's come up. <laughs> you use it from the Hebrew of Matan, gift from God. Oh, wow, okay, very cool. <laughs> I'm surprised it took us 92 episodes to get to that question. Because I've always actually wanted to ask you that question. I always forget. And I think my mom even said that. She's like, why is he named Matthew? Yeah, that's very cool, though. Since the, the, uh, Matthew is probably Jewish, too, because a lot of her, you know. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, I'm not, glad to know that Mark was African. African? Like, real African. Only reason his basilica is up in, 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 um, in Italy and in, in, uh, Venezia is because they were, had to steal his remains and take them there because they were going to destroy them down there when the Muslims came in and took over Alexandria. But that's a whole other story. But I, so I'm just, I don't know. I don't know that we're not, I'm praying and I'm working toward peace. I think that, you know, we had our, 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 um, our John uh, 452 moment when we left the White House after the president accepted the nomination of the GOP RNC at the convention the last day to see that kind of venom and vile uh, aggression. It's videoed, everyone sees it, that where 
if that's the new reality to replace policing, uh, I hope that the American voters saw that. But I don't know that this won't turn hot before we get to the place of peace that you're asking about. But I do know, because I do read the scripture, that when Deborah had the war, the land then rested 40 years. And I do know that after Gideon had to go and do his thing, the land got to rest 40 years. If we're in a Deborah or Gideon moment, it could get where we better put our seatbelts on and people better collect more than just toilet paper. Well, one thing for sure is that we definitely had our, our seatbelts on for this show. This is this is great. Uh, listen, I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who uh, might have um, heard you for the first time uh, and will want to know more about you and about your writings. Where's the best place for people to say, I want to know more about STAR? Where do they go? <laughs> Urban Cure. They go to urbancure.org. Urbancure.org. If they come in STAR Parker, they're going to find urbancure.org because we're a nonprofit. So the benevolence of individuals is how we fund ourselves. So we love that. They can find my books there. They'll find my TV show there. They can sign up, get the emails, all of that kind of stuff. Otherwise, they just have to keep doing it the way they normally do. They need me here and they see me there. Um, but if they want to follow me, then that's where they go. And then that, you know, following continues into Facebook and all those other things that people do. But, um, but yeah, Urban Cure is of interest. And one of the reasons that I think that we play such a significant role in the discussions that we're having and the culture and, and, and to heal our country, is that the scenario of the lost sheep, uh, Pastor, you will appreciate this, that, you know, when God looked to find that one little sheep, he was sending a lesson to the other 99 as well, that th with these boundaries, you can be secure. We have the boundaries of law and order. We have justice, which has two sides, judgment and mercy. And our system needs some work in that department, no question. But with the boundaries, the lost sheep, can not only be found, but the others are secure to go ahead in their uniqueness. So we look at that lost sheep and we look also, I mean, not that we don't disagree, I mean, like we disagree with what Reagan said that, you know, rising tides lift our boat. They do. But I think that we have spent now $24 trillion in a war on poverty that has weakened us and, 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 and put a little hole in the ship. So what we have to do is do the hard work of getting that wheel, that one wheel out of the mud. You know, you have a car and that one wheel just keeps spinning until you shore that up. Anti-poverty initiatives are a quarter of our budget. So that's where Cure spends its time, is looking at those issues to say, how can we get it out of government dependency and into the free market so that we can shore up the car and get the whole country out of the mud? Really good stuff. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, and sharing, um, and, uh, and especially your passion and your commitment, and that you've been committed to since '95, probably even earlier than that. A little bit. And and it's I mean, you have a personal story to go along with it. You know, when we we attach our testimony, you have a testimony that I'm sure you've delivered right. that exact same testimony at church before. Yeah. But that testimony is what's striving, I'm, I'm assuming it's what's striving your work in Cure. Um, and it, well, it started my work in Cure for sure, my, my professional work. But now, as I progress in life, it's also my, what's driving me personally is I have grandchildren. And I'm concerned about the country. Uh, right, 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 right. Well, God bless you. God bless you. Uh, this is wonderful. So, so I mean, you know, it, it kind of feeds into, um, you know, at least for me as, as a rabbi and certainly have to bring scripture into it. But, you know, there is something within our tradition that comes out of what we call Perkei Avot, the ethics of our ancestors, that our teaching and Jewish tradition teaches us that you are not obligated to complete the task, but neither are you free to desist from it. And I think that as I 
as I think, you know, Star, about the words that you had said and about our tradition, you know, I think that there's something there that says, you know, it takes every one of us to try and make change. And it's not going to, maybe it won't happen in my lifetime, but you know what? I have to do the work because if I can do the work, I'm not going to complete it, but you know what? I'm not free to desist from it. And I think the more that we can really work. But, but, but in a free country, you get to pick that cause. That's the problem I have with BLM and some of this new stuff. They're forcing people into their cause. We get to choose as well our cause. And I agree with you 100% that we should put our hands to an effort and do something for our fellow man. But in a free country, you decide what that's going to be, whether it's going to go save babies or save animals. You get to decide. If, you're, if your concern is police brutality, you do that cause, and you do it with passion, but you do it within the law. Do it within the law, and you don't force corporations to fund it, and you don't force free people to support it. All right, so if you just tuned in, check out our podcast, A Priest and a Rabbi. Google it. We're everywhere and anywhere. Put a like, put a comment. God bless you, Star Parker. Thank you so much for being on this show. And uh, all of you, God bless you. Have a beautiful week. Check out the podcast.